And so all of a sudden, I was in my late 20s with over 50,000 student loan debt, nothing to show for it. And I had failed at a law school twice and I had dropped out of grad school. Wow. So yeah, it came down to a moment on my mom's couch and I was literally crying. I felt like a big baby. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand. Like, how have I failed this magnificently? Hey guys, uh, tonight we've got a pretty special guest on the podcast. It's actually the first interviewee we've had on since our episode. This is episode, I'm not sure, 11, 12, or 13, somewhere up there, but we've got Jeff um, from the gym on with us tonight. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate it, uh, especially around dinner time. And Jeff's actually um, pretty far away right now. We're not going to go into anything specifics because he actually works in a field that's relatively confidential. And we thought that was pretty cool. Um, Jeff, if you just want to give like a broad scope, what industry you're in, that's really what our viewers watch this for. Or all sure. So I, I will say that um, there are a lot of ways to do interesting work and what you kind of want to do without going traditional routes. I uh, couldn't join the military because I had steep corneas. So I had to find a different way to the end of the rainbow. And I went the federal route. And there are all kinds of agencies that can train you in all kinds of things. And it's a really interesting experience and interesting skills that you gather uh, it's not so much like the movies. It's usually a lot slower than that. But pretty much what you guys are doing now is what I got trained in, which essentially is asking questions. So I'd be happy to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what my experiences were and my background and answer whatever you guys ask that I can answer. And yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. Quick, quick question. How how did you like figure out you wanted to to, to do this? Like, did you always like kind of since the beginning of college, want to go into government uh, field, uh, like um, type of thing? Or, or is that what was that like a change in your after uh, learning more, getting into your mid 20s, you kind of found out uh, this is kind of what you wanted to do? Sure. Uh, so my goal was always to try to go as far down the rabbit hole as I could, whatever that means to you guys. Um, I wanted to do something that I found to be interesting, where I didn't necessarily think I'd make a ton of money but I wanted to do something that had a ton of importance. So during college, I'm actually a biology major. That's my undergrad. Really? But during that, I minored in anthropology and I was able to get my own grant money and I spent some time in Nepal. And during all of that, I realized, wow, this is really fun. And I enjoy kind of eliciting information, especially when people don't necessarily want to give it to you. And it really opened up my eyes. I'm like, okay, well, now what degrees do I need to better position myself since I can't join the military? And how can I better become a good candidate for, I guess, non-traditional routes? That sounds, um, yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a um, per current, like what I know a lot of my friends in college are doing right now. It's actually pretty mm -hmm. unorthodox compared to that. So many people just have it in their mind for you. I would, I would encourage you, be, be unorthodox. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I take think stuff that excites you. Yeah, I, I actually took an anthropology class in college. And I'd say I think that was one of the most interesting classes I took. Like the, nice. the professor was great. And like all the information, like you don't you don't like realize what crazy things uh, in different cultures. Have. Yeah. And I think really what I guess gave me an opportunity was a professor minder in law school. I took a military law class 
not wanting to go into Jag board, not knowing I wouldn't, you know, I couldn't join the military, but there was something about this guy. And I said, you know, I'm probably going to get a senior class because I don't really care about it, but I joined it because I want to get to know you. You seem really interesting. How about a beer and a cheese dip? And we hit it off. And it turns out he's the most interesting professor I've ever had. And some of the stuff he's done is just outrageous and incredible and helped open doors for me. So you never know. Put yourself out there and, and actually yeah. follow the, not even necessarily the content. You just follow the teacher. If they, if they seem to be passionate about what they do, it's uh, feel right. passionate yourself doing so. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I would say that uh, you never know what someone can bring to the table because a lot of people never really talked to this guy. No one took his classes and the people that did were kind of sucking up for that high grade. And I just told him, I said, I don't, I don't need the grade. Um, tell me about your story. And it turns out his journey began with DEA and then led to other three letter agencies. Okay. Very cool. Well, yeah. I know, I know that, I know that for Aaron and uh, Steven and myself's sake, we knew that Jeff was a guy we wanted on the podcast um, because <laughs> a lot of the stories Jeff has are very different from, um, I mean, honestly, when I first met Jeff, I had no idea what he did other than that he was just a crazy strong guy at the gym. So it's really <laughs> just a plus to see um, and to be able to hear tonight some of the, some of the just um, insanely um, uncommon stories that he's got and for our sake, you know, for our viewers, they're used to us talking primarily about money. And just for instance, last episode, Jeff, we were talking a lot about health savings accounts. So this is a pretty okay. good switch up. Um, but tonight, not necessarily going to focus anything in the financial sense. Mm -hmm. More so, we just want some good, um, it's kind of like a break of an episode for the viewers, just a good um, eye opening into another industry and a completely different viewpoint. So a few questions, Jeff, um, that we thought of. Um, I'm not going to go into detail of what you said. <laughs> I don't know what you said. But uh, have you ever been, um, like, found yourself in a uh, hostile situation, uh, like, in your career? Yeah. And, uh, so the interesting one, uh, probably one of my most memorable ones, was before my career, but helped me go into that field. Um, so... I wanted to interview genocide perpetrators Ooh. and I was thinking, well, why don't I just go over there and just talk to them? So I started a, a GoFundMe and uh, I raised like 6,000 bucks in like oh, a few wow. weeks. Damn. Everybody was like, that's a crazy idea. Here's $10. Good luck. And the next thing you know, a few people had their people and the next thing you know, it got, a, got enough money. So <laughs> I, uh, I went over there and I guess that was my first real opportunity to be in, I would call a dangerous situation because there's no weapon with me. I had no sidearm, no badge or authority over there. And um, yeah, I was on the ground. Phone doesn't really work outside of pretty much the hotel area and different parts in Kigali where you have hot spots. But so I decide, okay, what do I know? I know that alleyways are dangerous and cars are less dangerous because I can at least be in an environment I can somewhat control. Yeah. So I decide I'm going to give $2 for a taxi ride. And during these taxi rides, I'm going to ask questions, but I'm going to sit in the front seat. And if something goes South, I'm going to crash the car. <laughs> this is your mentality, for this, you know, and I'm by myself. Like I'm, I'm in the red clay and this was all good experience and experience that I wanted. And 
it really didn't become real until I got off the plane and I saw a guy wearing boat shoes. And I said, hey, man, nice shoes. I got the same shoes. So he lifts his pant legs and he's got a wooden leg. And that's when it hits you like, oh, my God, we're, we're doing this. <laughs> wow. So the situation that sticks out that I'll always remember is I'm interviewing these people and I'm asking them what it was like for them during the genocide. And of course, you don't start out with that. You talk about anything else and you slowly find a way to segue. And I get this one guy, the only guy where I was scared, <laughs> like legit, like hair on your arm standing up, because when I asked him, what was it like for you? He said in monotone, looking dead ass straight ahead, I took out my machete. I chopped up my neighbors, the women and children, too. And when you hear something like that from someone that did that and there's no cage, there's no distance. I'm sitting next to him in this rinky dink car on the red clay. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't have a weapon like this is this is a bad scenario because there's no remorse. There's no sense of humanity in his voice. And it's, it was scary. So what I learned from that was that one, keep a conversation moving and try to direct it to something positive that you can relate with. And this came into play later in my career and it's helped me a lot, but I learned it there in that moment. After what felt like an hour, which was only about a minute, I said, uh, do you have any, uh, do, you, do you know of any good uh, hookah bars in Kigali? Yes. And this guy looks at me and he's like, you, do you smoke shisha? And I was like, yeah. And uh, he goes, what flavor? And I oh. said, double apple, thinking of a hardest flavor I could. And he goes, I smoke double apple. So he turns on music, parks to the side. And this man who's probably killed 12 people, we talked for an hour. And he shook my hand after the talk. And it was amazing to go from this situation where I literally had my right palm up and I made sure my belt was tight and I was prepared to crash a car to, okay, this man sees me as an equal on some level and we can relate on some level and therefore I can elicit information on some level. And that's where it really began. So do a lot of these people speak English, right? Mm. Yeah, I would say very broken English, but absolutely English. Mm -hmm. And uh, where did you go again? That's uh, in Kigali and Rwanda. Okay. Rwanda, okay. Sounds like, uh, some, for, to us, that sounds like some pretty scary stuff, to be honest. Um, it, it's scary, but it, it goes to show you kind of how you'll act, and you don't really know how you'll act until you're in it. I mean, later in life, I would be in detention centers uh, doing interrogations and coming from that, it, nothing was really as intimidating as that first awkward pause. And I, I don't mean to say that to sound proud. I was freaking scared. But after that, it's like, okay, this was pretty much an uncontrolled situation. And then most of the time when you're interrogating or investigating, um, it's usually more controlled than that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely more controlled than just being, let, what two feet away from the guy you guys are both yeah the yep you just make sure your seatbelt's good and you think to yourself all right if we wrecked right now how badly would i get hurt and what's his seatbelt look like and how's this gonna go <laughs> wow so gen genocides stuck out to you it was something you you felt was especially yes. interesting i'm guessing yeah because there's a story there um it's easy to say anyone that does that is the scum of the earth now, some of the people I interviewed, I would agree with that statement, but a lot of them spent the rest of their lives and are still spending the rest of their lives trying to bring food to the neighbors, trying to apologize in the grass, trying to bring water, trying to make it right as best they can. And they've admitted to the crime because, I mean, what are you going to do? Lock up everyone that participated and the country fails forever? Or do you try to find a way forward? 
Could you give like a three to five minute history lesson on what the Rwanda genocide was? I'll give you the shortest version possible. <laughs> so you've got yeah. three essential types of people over there. You've got the Tutsi, you've got the Hutu, and you've got the Twa. The Twa are like the lesser known, um, more indigenous. Um, the Hutu, basically, it, it came down to favoritism. If you look at what happens, they try to exterminate the Tutsis out of really uh, what would be the best. It, it comes back to the Belgians because uh, what they did is they basically classified these people based on how they looked um, and based on it could be as simple as these cow people lived over here and this was a higher area. And so basically they were classified, right? So Europeans classified them as A or B, essentially. No one even really cared about the Chua, which is like the, the part nobody talks about. But so you have people classified and then it's like gasoline and there's all this gasoline. It's just waiting on a match. Well, plane goes down, match. And so basically they start an extermination. And what it comes down to is some people who participated organized the killing and the genocide, whether they were on radio, whether they were passing out machetes, whether they were passing out bullets, those would be like the worst perpetrators. But what people don't realize is a lot of people were just people. You know what I mean? They were just hanging out in their house and they had to follow suit and they did and they regret it. And it's a thing they live with. So it's more complicated than the movies make it. It's more complicated than really society makes it. And we should have done more. Clinton could have stepped in, you know, the French could have stepped in, but long story short, 800 plus thousand people died. And most of them by machete. Wow. Yeah, that's brutal. And my idea was I want to talk to the people that did that because are they all horrible? Are some of them good or is it way more complicated? And so that's what I want to investigate. If you would be willing, I know we're trying to maintain as much and an enemy as possible. You're on this interview. Sure. You're just Jeff from the gym. Yep. <laughs> what age were you when you went over? And you could even give us a range. The first time I ever went to Africa, I was 18 because I wanted to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro because oh, it's the dude, I, I, I wanna, I, I've heard a lot about that. That's so cool. Yeah. So I just I went over there and I fell in love with East Africa. It's beautiful. The people are incredibly nice. Uh, I got asked so many times, are you South African? And I would say, no, I'm American. They say, okay, okay, he's okay. <laughs> they love Americans. Um, not so big on South Africans. Really? <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was the first time I really got to experience East Africa. And I'd only been to Egypt years before that with my mom. But so once I started exploring Kenya and Tanzania, I really decided, okay, Rwanda may be doable. And so years later, I'm in law school and I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro again. So during that trip, I climbed it a second time and then spent some time in Rwanda. And I got to actually climb it with the son of the guy I climbed it with the first time, which is insane. <laughs> oh, wow. Was this? John, we got to climb it one, one day. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, that's insane. 18. Eight, 18 years, about how long after are we looking at when you decided I'm ready to go and interview a genocide perpetrator? Uh, I maybe decided maybe five to seven years and then actually made the commitment to do it a couple years after that. Okay. That's still pretty young. I mean, that's, that's insane. Um, 
Well, that's that's crazy for the for the genocide part of it. We definitely want to hit on some other topics though. So we it, we could yeah, definitely ask more questions about the the Rwandan genocide in particular later. But I wanna I wanna ask mine. Um, what is the most um, intense? If the Rwandan genocide one wasn't it, interrogation mm-hmm. you've been in that your career has brought you to. I can tell you the most meaningful. I don't know if it was the most intense, but it was the most meaningful. Um, when I first started at a field office, um, we were doing interviews and you work as a pair when you first come on. So I was there with my partner, essentially. And we have someone come in. And if you imagine a male, let's say the male is like 60. And let's say his fiance is 19. <laughs> And then the translator for the fiance is, let's say, 18 or 19. And would you consider that to be out of the norm? That's kind of strange, right? Yeah. Like that's a pretty big age gap. 41 year (laughs) age gap. Yeah. (laughs) And so, okay, flag goes up my head. I'm like, gee, that's kind of weird. So they come in and he's holding her documents, whatever those documents may be. Okay. Second red flag. Someone should always be in control of their possessions and documents. If there's a situation where I'm trying to talk to person A and person B is holding person A's things, well, is this like an elderly mother? Is this, you know, or is this a very controlling situation where there may be more to it? So red flags are up and I don't speak Russian, right? I don't speak any, but we've all seen the movies. I mean, I think you guys would agree that da probably means yes and yet probably means no. So I know a little bit of Russian. There's two words. (laughs) And I'm sitting there with my partner and we're asking questions. And I kind of tell her to just keep asking questions. And I just shut up. I'm just staring. I'm like, something's up. I'm watching this guy's body language. Is he touching his leg? Is his foot moving? Is he looking at me? Is he looking up? Is he doing little movements? Is he nervous? I'm just analyzing every freaking centimeter of this guy. (laughs) And so the translator, I swear the translator in, the translator must translate word for word. For example, if a translator is supposed to say, have you ever been to this country? The translator can't say you haven't been to this country, right? See what the difference is? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So translator is translating and I'm noticing the translator is either saying the word da or the word yet in the translation. Well, gee, that's illegal. She needs to be translating word for word. And the question didn't have yes or no in it. Certainly not only one of those. So she's feeding an answer. She's telling the person what to say, which (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) So I kind of catch on to this and my partner basically is kind of analyzing and just reading the questions and taking notes. And I'm not even taking notes. I'm just straight staring at this guy. And I'm noticing that when the answer was yes, kind of touches his leg. And when the answer is no, he kind of touches his hair, but he does it right before the translator says the translation. So he is feeding the translator who's feeding the person being interrogated. (laughs) And the only way to notice this is to actually notice it. And the only way I was able to notice it was to literally have tunnel vision. Something's up. Okay. So when something's up, what are your options? Broad or narrow? I decided to narrow. I'm like, I'm going to watch this guy. So long story short, turns out it was the second person he's been engaged to. He brings people overseas. And then they come to America and he gives them a $30,000 loan and they can't repay it. So he puts them in 
essentially some type of trafficking situation. And they, they basically become prostitutes. And we caught the guy. Wow. Um, <laughs> do you think that had you not been able to have your partner there, you probably wouldn't have been able to pay that much close attention because you would have been busy asking questions yourself. Could this guy have potentially slipped through the cracks? I mean, you could always say that something different could happen. Yes, it could yeah. have happened. I'd like to think it wouldn't, but it certainly could have. I mean, the best advice I can give anyone who's thinking about interrogating or investigating or just trying to get information from someone that doesn't want to give you that information, slow down. You know, you don't have to solve the riddle in two minutes. Yeah. So, so people would like come to you, um, to your office to get citizenship, basically, or like a green card, stuff like that. People came to the offices for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it had to do with national security issues, sometimes other issues. Yeah, but I didn't work for them for too long. Uh, I did a stint with one agency and then started kind of working on other projects. And I would, I would think this probably was not even like that atypical. It was probably, you know, numerous incidents like this. Not that we have to go in all of them, but um, that's just interrogation itself is like something that I don't know. In, in the business field, we're all business minded here okay. on this podcast. So we're all, we're definitely more on the money side of it. So hearing about interrogation and kind of, catching criminals is definitely out of our field or even, you know, interest until now. <laughs> I, I would argue <laughs> that hearing from the source, <laughs> it's very similar. And here's how it's similar. It's negotiation mm -hmm. with business. You're trying to negotiate either some type of deal, some type of product or price, some type of service, whatever it may be you're negotiating. Well, it's the same thing when you're trying to figure out information. You're just trying to negotiate a response. That's the one you're looking for. 100%. And so I'm a real estate agent, Jeff. Okay. Like now, like I'm having to start to like talk to people how I've never talked before, right? We're, we're, we're dealing That's with great. a few hundred thousand dollars, right? So mm -hmm. talking to people, uh, trying to get the best deal for them and myself, right? And mm -hmm. for, like, talking to other, the, the realtor on the other side, that's definitely something I need to work on for sure is, is my communication skills and uh, my skills to kind of get, get what I want for my side, right? For me and my client. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. That's good. Cause I mean, it's, it's an art, not a science. So it's just like riding a bike almost. You just got to practice it and you know, you'll close the deals that you'll close and you'll learn from the ones you don't close. And that's the interesting thing. Yeah, 100%. We get another good one here. Do you have, or did you have at any point in your career, you're, you're kind of a rare field where you've got stories like this. Did you ever get nightmares from your work at any point in your career? Uh, I never got nightmares. Uh, um, I will say that you get to be, it's the best way to put it. You're a little more suspicious just in general. Um, if you sit at a place that you haven't been to before, you're going to face the door. Um, mm. If a pretty girl comes and sits next to you, despite how attractive you may think you are, what is her intention? If someone wants your personal information, why do they really want it? Um, if someone seems a little too interested or maybe has walked near you a little too long, why? So 
it makes everyday things where there's not even a reason for a second glance. Sure. You yeah. give it a second yeah. glance. And sometimes that second glance is worth it. So I'm going to kind of turn back to um, the ne- sure. negotiation aspect of it. Yeah. Best um, class I've ever taken in law school. Only class that's paid for itself a million times over. I recommend everybody to take it. Note taken. Taking yeah. Notes right <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to get uh, to that point where it's like, I know you're, you're constantly developing, you know, negotiation skills and things like that. Okay. Um, and uh, like out in the field, like how, how well did those classes um, basically help you uh, in those interactions? And sure. Uh, yeah. I will say that it has helped me a million times over. And the way that negotiation helps you is you can try to figure out what's really important, what's really matters, what is the the actual issue. So, I mean, a good example, let's say that um, I've got an orange, right? One of you guys loves to eat oranges. The other one needs the orange peel uh, to try to shave and make like a little kind of scented orange peely kind of fragrance bullshit, whatever, right? So you want an orange, you want an orange. What's the best case scenario? Well, we cut the orange down the middle. You both got exactly what you wanted. Well, no, negotiation teaches you that if you slow down, you investigate, you try to see what really people are looking for. Maybe if we give you all the peel and you the rest of the bulk of the fruit, both parties win, but how can we possibly know that? So to negotiate is to (laughs) figure out what matters and find a way to get to that. So it best helps you or so it best helps what you're trying to accomplish. So, so is yeah. that kind of how they they teach you in, in the class? Because I'm assuming just re- reading a textbook won't mm-hmm. help you as much as like a teacher kind of explaining you, explaining you these tactics, correct? Yeah, you got to jump in it. I mean, there, there are plenty of books that are good. Uh, you, you just got to jump in it. We do practice negotiations. Uh, then when I worked for a, a different department, um, one of our homework assignments was we had to get the information of one male and one female. So their contact information, but it couldn't be at a bar. And that's mm-hmm. harder than it sounds. The female was actually easy. I picked out a girl that I wasn't attracted to and I went and flirted a little bit. The male was tough. I think he thought, well, this guy might be gay or something. And so eventually I was able to get the information by telling him, well, gee, I'm just new to the area and I'm trying to find someone who's running an apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. that's okay. What, what books do you recommend? Uh, getting to yes is a good one. I can't remember who wrote that, but it's called getting to yes. That's a very good read. And then what else would I recommend for negotiation? Watch videos. Um, another guy I can't think of the name of, but it's a, he's an amazing lawyer. He's a Texas lawyer who does a really crazy deposition. He's yelling and going crazy. And I'll try to find that and get back to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, just, just watch, just try. You know what I mean? Like have, have a fake negotiation. Let's say you don't want to get up and get the beer and you're both out of beer. Well, there's an opportunity. And that could be the same as talking about anything. That's just the easiest example. Is good cop, bad cop, a good uh, way of. Uh, <laughs> all we know <laughs> from the movies. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it quite as good cop, bad cop. Um, I'd phrase it as someone that cares versus someone that doesn't. And I know that's a small distinction, um, but I mean, I've, I've been, when I've been trying to elicit things, whether it's for work or in the field or for school, um, 
sometimes if you're nice, it's going to work perfectly and it can be respectful and they're going to want to give it to you. Whereas if you were a jerk, you got nothing. Other times you may have to raise your voice. I mean, I remember threatening to call someone on someone (laughs) Um, and that worked. So it's kind of feeling it out and you can really only feel it out if, again, you slow down. I mean, I was talking to a friend from a bureau and she was kind of picking my brain. I was picking her brain about, you know, different techniques. And the thing we agreed on was you've got to go slowly and purposefully. And you'll use it. Believe me. I mean, you might have a girl that cheats on you. You might have someone that's trying to sell you a crappy car. I mean, the, you know, the uses are infinite. If you look back at, because we're talking about a lot of different departments. Sure. Um, that we don't, again, complete anonymity. We don't have to get into any of this stuff. But mm-hmm. what would you say throughout the development of your professional career? Because, I mean, you've got college, different department work. What's something you regret doing or not doing, really not doing at our age, so 21, that yep. you would kind of call as like, you know, a failure of yours? You regret you know, whether it's like being proactive or making connections, like what's something um, that you just really wish you had done when you were our age and that you would see as a hundred percent. Yep. That's an easy one. I didn't look at myself when I was y'all's age and really until my late twenties, I didn't see myself as smart. That was the biggest change. Now I got my biology degree and that's great, but I didn't see myself as smart. I didn't see that. I saw myself as like, okay, I'm okay enough. And I graduated towards the bottom of my high school class. Um, I went on to get a law degree and I even got a master's. Um, the master's was from Harvard. Um, so yes. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I, I graduated with a, a three, five, six and I graduated near the bottom of my high school class. So what's the difference? What changed? Um, I started understanding that I may not be able to be the smartest person in the room. And in fact, if you are the smartest person in the room, get in another damn room immediately. But what I figured out was it's almost like any given Sunday. I realized, okay, I can do one test better than someone can do one test. They may do the class better. They may do the curriculum better. They may do the semester, the year, the entire degree. They may be better than me. I will beat them on one test because screw them. It's one test. I can master a test. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I didn't understand that concept um, until my late twenties. And so in law school, I had A's and D's. A lot of people brag about the GPA. I didn't care if I loved a class, I got an A in it. I really enjoyed it. And I, I did the same mentality. I would say, okay, I'm in the middle of my law class doesn't matter if I'm smart or dumb in anyone else's eyes, but if I'm going to beat someone on, let's say, an international law test, yeah, I'm going to beat them on that test. And so I just realized that, okay, you can beat anyone at something. And that may not mean you can beat them at every, you know, every single play, but you can beat anyone at one test. And I didn't understand that. Um, I graduated with a 2.9 out of undergrad. You know, I got good grades and bad grades, but I didn't, I didn't understand. And so what I would say to you guys is that you can beat anyone at one test. And that test could be a a mile run. That test could be an academic exam. It could be a qualifier for shooting some type of weaponry. It could be a night out flirting with somebody, whatever it is to you on that particular day. My point is 
you can beat everyone at one test. That's what I would tell myself. And that's what I'd tell you guys. Kind of another question, different direction. Yeah. What's your opinion? Are internships important? Absolutely. I interned for a Democrat, even though I'm a middle of the road conservative. Um, and I did so because I believed in him and still believe in him. And he passed out food in a three piece suit in a hot area. And yeah, I learned so much from that. I learned number one, Americans aren't that different, no matter what your political beliefs are. We're 95% the same. And number two, it exposed me to things. All of a sudden, you're interacting with so many different levels of government that you would have never gotten. And that's the same with anything else. Like, absolutely go intern. Absolutely. Take whatever internship you can get. I wouldn't look at it like something you're going to do for a year, but do it for a few months. It's great for you. I was uh, actually talking to Stephen about this um, when we went to uh, we went to a Yellowbird meeting with a bunch mm -hmm. of real estate and uh, financial uh, people, and, okay. um, and we were just meeting meeting people um, around. And I, I I kind of realized during that meeting, it's like it doesn't matter what your uh, uh, political beliefs are. All you have to do is you know, make friends and, uh, yes. you know, connections and, uh, get to somebody know. will help you. Somebody will help you and they're not going to help you unless you meet them. Yeah. How about this? Um, I want to hear another, I want to hear another, um, interesting story. So Jeff, if there's something you can think of that sure won't, that will still be the same level of confidentiality Maybe sure. want to be again like we we like the the Rwandan genocide story. You got anything else like that? Sure, I will. Uh, I will share with you another story from. I'll give you a Kilimanjaro story. That was actually from the same trip. Ooh. So the first time I climbed it, when I was eighteen, I had family with me and porters. Well, gee, that's pretty easy. I mean, it's not it's not easy by any means, but it's not terribly arduous. The mm. second time. I had gotten food poisoning in Rwanda and when I arrived, I had a temperature and I only had one contact because my other contact had been broken and I was carrying about 80 pounds on my back. Well, that is not the same trek. <laughs> oh, so food poisoning yeah. in the country altogether is like, it was just myself and one guy versus porters and all this other stuff and family and friends, but no, me and a guy. So get over there and I'm thinking, Anything I did once, I can do again. What I failed to remember was when I was 18, I was about, I don't know, 100 pounds lighter, and we had porters. <laughs> now, you guys have seen me in the gym. I'm mostly shoulders. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> He's a big dude. He's a big dude, you guys. He's not on videos, but I can vouch for him. He's a big guy. <laughs> so we start, uh, we start hiking, and I got my little temperature, and I'm carrying supplies and everything, and tents and all that, and well, a tent and we're going and I'm, we're behind. We're supposed to make it into the first camp by like dusk and it's like 9 PM and I'm just feeling like crap and I'm like cold sweating. So it gets worse. Get ready to go to bed. Guess what? Brought the wrong sleeping bag. I brought my 10 degree, not my 10 below. All right. Strike Ooh. two. <laughs> oh, and then nice. I didn't bring a mat. So I'm sleeping essentially on the cold ground, which it's Africa, but it gets cold. So not the best start. <laughs> we get ready. Um, we do. Are, are you still? Energy. You still have one contact during all this? Yes, correct. I that that <laughs> that alone that alone for me, our contacts is is enough to, for me to be like that's just now. 
yeah, I can't, can't see without them. I mean, you know, it, uh, it's crazy what we do. So just kind of, you block everything out and you're like, all right, we'll keep going. So a couple of days in, um, definitely not doing quite as hot, you know, it's taking its toll and run out of food. Turns out it's hard to carry enough food and know how much food to bring. <laughs> it was going to, it was going to give you food poisoning anyways, man. I mean, well, that's the irony of the whole thing. We were drinking from a waterfall at one part in like this rainforesty type area and didn't get sick at all from that, but got sick in freaking Kigali from like a hotel hamburger I had at the hotel de Michelin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so anyway, a couple days in, it's getting worse. Start running out of food. So I don't speak Kiswahili. I mean, I know maybe 10 phrases, but I don't speak it. And so literally it's down to like sign language. And again, not trained in sign language, but we all know how to put like, like hungry, like maybe you rub your tummy, fever, maybe you put your hand to your forehead, you know, thirsty, maybe you pretend like you're drinking something and then holding your hand out. So I make friends with this guy who is a cook from a different camp <laughs> and he's bringing me like half a hot dog, like a piece of bread and I'm eating this shit alive. I'm starving. I'm, I'm just eating the, I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. This guy's the man. I'm going to give him like ten dollars when i got here <laughs> so <laughs> so we're eating all this scraps basically and eventually it gets time to be ready for summit day well summit day keep in mind we're behind summit day would be about 32 to 34 hours of straight hike so that's with the temperature and that's with the one contact and it's like okay but you can see the peak at this point so you're like bet let's do it easy peasy <laughs> So I convinced one of the cook's friends to carry my tent. All right, cool. That's like a few pounds out. And I'm like, here, you can carry, you know, maybe these three things. Okay, cool. So now I'm not carrying that much. I'm like, okay, it's doable. We start hiking, hike all through the night. Not easy hiking. Very tough. And I would say at altitude, at 18,000 feet, half the given oxygen molecules per given area. So try to take a deep breath. Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah. So we keep going. We get up to the summit, reach the summit. Awesome. Then it hits you. Cool. You're halfway. You got to go down. Okay. <laughs> so we start going and we're on something called scree, which is basically gravel for lack of a better word. And what happens? Sprain my ankle. So Whoa. that's a really bad timing. <laughs> and I'm trying to stand on it and I'm just falling down. I'm like, this is actually a situation now. Okay. Wow. I look at my guy and it's just me and my buddy. And I say, well, what are our options? We stay, you go, or we try to go together. Try to go together. It's not working. It's just not working. Tried to scoot on my ass for close to an hour. Barely made any progress. So I see like an overhang. I'm like, okay, that'll get me out of the sun because I'm getting destroyed right now. So I'm like, let's get to there. So we get to there. And he's like, I don't know what to do. He's like almost crying because he's like, you're my client. You're my friend. Like, I can't carry you. And I'm like, I get that. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to stay here? Or do you want me to very slowly continue? Like I'm up for either one, but you know, not, not feeling too hot. (laughs) Yeah. So literally we're having this talk and randomly like out of left field, two random porters from some random party are like carrying stuff down this mountain. There's no one else around in eyesight. It's like, Oh my God. So my guy carries some of their stuff. I put one arm around one, one arm around the other, get to the next camp. Cool. We're going down. So then once you get in the tent, it's the only time my life I've ever falling asleep mid sentence, much less multiple times. I don't remember falling asleep. He comes in. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. I'm mid sentence. Like I'm getting ready boop, asleep. I wake up. Hey man, are we asleep? Just body, just like a, like a shut off. 
just asleep, asleep, Whoa. asleep. He's like, you're coughing and gurgling. There's probably fluid in your lungs. And now I keep in mind, I'm coming, I've been in Nepal, you know, years earlier. I'm like, well, I've been much higher than this. And he's like, you don't get it. Like your body is in trouble. You're not understanding what's going on. He was right. I wouldn't understand. I was asleep. So eventually we took a bicycle wheel and Jerry rigged it to basically a stretcher. And they put me on this damn thing. <laughs> now I'm, How do you take a bicycle point, wheel and rig it into a, a stretcher? What? <laughs> it's exactly like it sounds. <laughs> Very <laughs> like much. Like a wheelbarrow almost? <laughs> like, a, like a wheelbarrow. If you took a wheelbarrow and a surfboard, it'd be akin to what that looked like. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and then we had people kind of holding the sides. Well, for the next like half a day, it's easy, right? I'm just laying there. I'm like, yeah, this sucks, but cool. Then you get to the part where there's maybe, if you picture like two feet by two feet or even three feet by three feet cubes and picture a bunch of them well that really sucks because then you're getting dropped by like two to three feet like about a thousand times which feels like someone punching you medium force about a thousand times yeah. and so at this point i'm like this really sucks <laughs> this is not good and so long story short we get to the last part and i'm thanking these guys i give them a bunch of my gear i'm like keep it you know thank you and they're like what are you doing like we still have like a mile and i said i effing walked into this place i'm gonna effing walk out of this park and i limp my happy ass the last mile <laughs> nice but it just shows you it's just like communication communication is everything and business and intelligence and safety and mountaineering all of it. communication did, did you have to go to the, the hospital after that and also what would you do it again yes i do it again <laughs> i did have to go to the hospital but i didn't go until i was back stateside and then i made it in time uh, for my class, <laughs> for uh, one of my law school classes, and I was on crutches for it. And the professor goes, holy crap, what the hell happened to you? I said, Africa. <laughs> um, would you have died if those two porters were not randomly up there at the top of the mountain? No, I don't think I would have died. Okay. But I think it would have made my potential quality of life very much at risk. Um, weird stuff happens when you're at altitude and you know, you'll always have someone say, well, gee, that's not that high up. Okay. One, I'm from Florida Two, 250 pounds right now to 70 something. And three, when you're exhausted, you can't judge it. I mean, the highest I've been is maybe 22,000 feet. I could do less than 10 pushups there. So it's not as easy as it sounds. (laughs) That in, in which mountain again was this one? So Kilimanjaro was the story I just gave you guys. Um, I made it just past base camp on Everest. I climbed Kalapatar, which isn't too far from there. Dang. And then I spent time on Abum Dablon. Kilimanjaro is the one that I even know the name of, like the only other one that I know other than Mount Everest, just because. So Kilimanjaro, like that's actually the tallest freestanding mountain. So it's the largest mountain, not part of a mountain range. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to be titling this video um, <laughs> something with Jeff and then stuck at the top of kilimanjaro with a sprained insane angle. insane story yeah one leg and one eye <laughs> capitalized that is that's insane man <laughs> at food poisoning missing a contact no food yep. sprained ankle not to mention you're 250 pounds so these these porters must have been very happy to hear that you were the one that had the sprained ankle so porters and i'll say this insofar as sherpas i've met and porters i've met over in east africa and sherpas in nepal and the kumbu they are pound for pound in my opinion far and away the strongest people i've ever met anywhere in the world <laughs> yeah, i mean i'll, I'll, I'll carry your heavy ass all the way down here 
I'll take any of them on a bench. Climb mountains for a living. <laughs> but if it comes to squatting, oh my god! I mean, these guys would put 100 pounds over their head and be jogging around like it's a backpack. <laughs> wow. Why? When? When did you get into like mountain climbing? Was that just during like your 20s? You were like, hell yeah, why not? Let's. Well, without going too much in detail, I had a medical situation um, when I was about 20, and my vision became an issue. Um, I got some very bad news. And so I basically decided, well, I'm either going to stay inside and be like a hermit because this is prior to any surgeries or I'm going to take on life. And so I told my mom and my advisor and the guy that I was trying to get a grant from, I'm like, well, I think I'm going to go to Mount Everest because if I can do that, it's really easy to just go to the convenience store or to walk to class. I mean, things were bad. And things are good now. I mean, with my contacts in, they're perfect, really. But things were very bad in my early 20s. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I got into mountaineering because it was like Kilimanjaro is something I just wanted to do. And I loved the way it made me feel. And then all of a sudden, some stuff went down with my health. And I decided, well, I want to feel that again and feel that I'm not afraid. And so I was like, what's the biggest mountain? Well, that's Everest. Well, I can't try to climb it because that's really expensive but I can go a decent amount up for like a couple hundred dollars and a few thousand other dollars to get there and get my stuff there. So that's what I did. That's crazy. For college students, we're pretty money-minded. We all have budgets. Yeah. Give us a rough estimate. If uh, we three wanted to go and effectively mm -hmm. just model what you're doing, sure. how, much, how much are we looking at with Porter and all? Kilimanjaro you could get away with for probably including your airfare around 3000 each for Everest. If you guys want to take a summit bid, I'd probably say around 50,000 each. Um, and there's a 50, wide range. 50,000? Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that the whole thing or is that to uh, base camp? That's for a, a cheap try at the whole thing. That doesn't uh, guarantee. That. I would say if you want a guarantee or something close to a guarantee, you're looking at easily six figures each. Wow, My sheet wow. of paper was only a few hundred dollars, so I went as high as I was allowed to go. <laughs> That's Jesus. insane. I don't know if I'd ever do all, all of Everest, but definitely Kilimanjaro and base camp would be pretty cool. Oh, you guys would love Kilimanjaro, man. It's it's beautiful and fun, and it's like every different climate zone all in the same hike. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Um, definitely, And it's great weight loss. I mean, I, there is no way you won't come back with an eight-pack by doing nothing. No crunches needed. <laughs> I'm also expecting when you came back, your lungs could hold twice as much oxygen. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool. I got pretty tan, too. It, like, tanned me a little bit through my clothes, which was weird. That was an unexpected awesome surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a pretty white guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, um, yeah your, your lungs feel good, but, I mean, it's going to take its toll. It's like anything else. If you did Kilimanjaro in two weeks, you could, you know, walk and hang out and talk and probably kick a soccer ball. But if you're trying to knock it out in, like, five, six days, not going to be an easy time, but doable. And how much for Kilimanjaro again? Rough estimate. I mean, I would say two to four thousand, depending on airfare. I mean, if you take airfare out of it, one to two thousand, I would say go closer to two so it's safer. I mean, a thousand would basically just be like a guy, but yeah. I would recommend that you have at least one other porter and hopefully a cook if there's three of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What are what's another um what's another place? Doesn't have to be a mountain experience, but Sure. Is there another country you visited where there was some, not even necessarily like an eye-opening situation it puts you in, but maybe like you got there and you were already like 
what am I doing here? Like, what, where do I even start? Like, was there another country <laughs> you went to with a similar type of uh, feel? Uh, maybe in a different way. I'm trying to think. Let me think of a good one for you guys. Um, you got a lot of traveling experience is what it sounds like. And I've actually never been out of the country before. Well, you got to do that because you're never going to have the money and the timing's never going to be right. You just got to do it. Yeah, that's... Um, Stephen, have you been out of the country? You said you've been to Puerto Rico? I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's technically, uh, yeah. Family's from there, so... Hell yeah. Um, So do you you plan to do a lot more traveling? I don't know if your job lets you do that or encourages that. Um, Um, I probably won't be traveling out of country for a while. Um, it'd be nice to hit up the territories though. I'd love to hit up Puerto Rico and the U S Virgin islands and whatnot. Um, probably won't go out of country for a while. Um, what's a good story. Let me think We're all about the second. stories, man. You know us, we're just ready to hear some, I mean, I'll give you, okay. So when Lukla is the name of the airport. So when I was coming from, um, Kathmandu to Lukla, so Lukla is where you basically get as close as ever as you can by by plane and then after that you're hiking your happy ass for quite a ways <laughs> so we get into loop clip and this is the kind of stuff that isn't on like cnn or fox i mean basically there were some malice so chinese malice um and they pretty much took over for lack of a better way of describing it at the airport and so flights were grounded and i'm sitting there and there's this russian guy like <laughs> like stereotypical right like drinking vodka and i told him i said well it looks like the airport's taking over. I mean, I don't, I don't see any machine guns, you know, but I see people like maybe one of them has a gun. I can't really, I didn't really want to explore. Right. And I'm like telling them like, what do you recommend we do? I go, I'm, you know, they haven't asked for nationalities or anything. They're basically just guarding exits. So I don't really know what the hell to do. And he just looks at me and he's like, we drink. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if I drink, that's a horrible <laughs> idea, but I don't have a weapon. Even if I did, I don't know if I'd want to try anything. So there's clearly more of them and they clearly have a better drop on everything. And hopefully local authorities will resolve the situation. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, yeah, I'll take one shot. And so I take a shot of this vodka with this guy, right? He's like Astrovia, like in the freaking movies. And so we do a shot and I'm like, well, I don't know how long this is going to last, but the way it looks, it's somewhat static, which is actually really good. You know, no one's, running around you know we're all pretty calm no one used the term hostage or anything all we heard over the radio was the airport has all flights grounded because of chinese malice so no one said anything like hostage situation or no one said anything like airport under attack they're just like flights are grounded <laughs> so like okay so i'm drinking with this guy we're having a couple shots now and we're just chilling and we're talking and he doesn't speak that great english i speak just about zero russian and we're just kind of chilling Next thing you know, after, I don't know, less than an hour, but certainly the first few minutes of it were terrifying. You hear, all right, uh, the malice have left and everything is good to go or good. Or I don't think they said to go. It's like, everything is good. And it's like, okay. And then we got on the plane. <laughs> what? What, what do you think they wanted? Did they want like money or something like that? So apparently they rove. They just go from place to place and they're basically paid to leave. So it's not even like they're trying to get someone and like have it turn into any type of crisis. They basically show up and local government buildings are like, go away. And then they go away. So they get just a little bit of money. So it was a really crazy, terrible situation. But at the same time, it's like they were super friendly 
and they got their little bit of money and they went away. And I don't even think they were chased by authorities. It was really weird. <laughs> That's crazy. Was that, was that the closest you've been to being in a situation where um, you thought your life could be in danger? No, the closest is when I was 11 years old. Well, take that back, 12 years Everest old. Or the Mount- well, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I was with my mom. It was my first time in Africa. And we were uh, around like uh, Giza, which is where the Great Pyramids are. And in like the 70s, I, maybe even 60s, but at, at some point you could climb them. No one told me you mm. couldn't. <laughs> so my dumb ass, I started trying to climb up one of the pyramids. I feel something grab me from behind, throw me on the ground. Oh, that looks like an M16. And this guy's like shouting at me and the translator's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Mom's crying. Long story short, you can't climb the pyramids anymore. And this guy just about <laughs> shot me over it. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Pyramids, <laughs> mountains, you could die doing either one. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say this just on, on a personal note without giving away too much about it. I mean, I, I lost my father and, uh, two of my three living grandparents all when I was 11. So, I mean, you go through that and you're going to view life a little differently, you know? <laughs> Dang. So your, your mother doing this trip to Africa with you. So your, 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 your kind of family has all has been like an adventurous. You probably got a lot of that from them. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's one line from one movie that I could give you guys to take in business and relationships and warfare and whatever, whatever, whatever. Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Okay, yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I definitely, I definitely always like hearing someone that says, no, you should go out and um, explore the world. I've never been out of the country, but I'm certainly, um, I don't know about the mountaineering side of it now that I know Everest costs 50 grand, but. Um, well, you don't have to summit it. I mean, you could pick literally a random ass mountain like five miles away and it costs you like probably 10 grand, <laughs> you know? <laughs> True. Yeah. Like the, I, I know a lot of people I know, John do the, the, the like pieces of the Appalachian trail, you know, we could definitely start. There you go. Yeah. Wow. I think we've got a pretty good collection of stories going. We're probably going to end up splitting this into smaller videos. So the last thing for my own selfish purposes that I want to hit on <laughs> is maybe five minutes or so. I'm going to ask you like, a mixed batch of questions, um, mm-hmm. but powerlifting and your weightlifting, um, sure experience. So let me, how do I put this? First one is, um, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty, um, open and you push powerlifting meets. Um, there's something you've done. There's something that you think is just a good, you know, goal to throw on the table. It's kind of like that test. If you can focus on beating someone, then the, the goal is to do it. The goal is to do yeah. it. I wouldn't try to put a certain number on it. Because let's say there's three people in your weight class, right? And let's say you squat 50 pounds, right? Or let's say 55 pounds, whatever. It doesn't matter. The the, the least amount imaginable, like silliness, right? Well, let's say the person who was going to beat you by like 400, 500 pounds messed up all their attempts. Congrats, bro. You just got silver in the squat for that. (laughs) I mean, you got to show up. That's half the battle. Absolutely. What's uh, What's your biggest accomplishment in powerlifting? I would say that my favorite power lift wasn't a power lift. Uh, I did 31 of 225 with clean form, no bouncing. And I'm more proud of that than any of the maxes. Uh, Cause I, I was right around like 387, 388. 
uh, for a clean bench press uh, raw. Um, now I, I can, I can bounce, you know, 400 or so, but that doesn't count. I hate when people do that. Like, don't, don't yeah. look at it like that. Find something that for you is amazing to you. And for me, it was being able to rep 225 like that, but I had a terrible vertical jump and I was usually really weak at squats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for everyone that, you know, obviously you can't see Jeff, he's definitely geared toward the bench. I can back him up on that. And I'm definitely taking a lot of your advice in my uh, chest workouts. Now I'm seeing a lot of progress there. Um, yeah. I mean, just, just be well-rounded. I mean, you know, if, if you're really good at bench, you're probably not as good at squatting for me, push pulls. Like I like to deadlift and I like to bench, but do some Olympic lifts here or there, do some cardio here or there, you know, I mean, really just enjoy it and don't put yourself down in your own mind. Yes, someone's going to be stronger. Someone is always going to be stronger, but you'll do better than you think. What's your preferred way if I did want to go about looking in powerlifting? Is there a website or something that you would usually go to? Or um, where, where do you start to look for the events at? I mean, you could look through like USA Powerlifting. You could put powerlifting meets near me. I mean, there'll be so many different clubs and so many different universities There'll be so many different events. I mean, there'll be different sanctioning bodies. I mean, just literally type in powerlifting near me and send whoever pops up an email. Gotcha. Um, I would say marketed to um, everybody our age right now are so many weightlifting supplements. What mm -hmm. have you found over the past? You've been lifting for a long time. Sure. Um, are there any supplements you've been consistently taking this whole time that are vital and you could see yourself taking until you die? I probably take creatine 11 months out of the year and then I'll do kind of a month off. Um, creatine, Any I used to take a lot of protein. Uh, I used to do a lot of the muscle milk stuff. And yeah, it, if you're lifting a lot, I mean, you'll definitely, it'll help you build doing a lot of protein. Don't get fat from it. Um, you got to watch out for that. You'll definitely put on weight. Um, I like creatine. I've taken some other supplements like arginine, um, I've tried the fish oil, the fish oil. I just, if you burp, it's oh, yeah, disgusting. You like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> but to each their own. I mean, it, it's not it, people I think look, especially now more than ever for like supplements as a way out. I mean, I've never taken steroids. I know people who have those people for the most part were stronger than me, but you know, in 20 years, I'm hundred percent going to be stronger than them. <laughs> like there's yeah. no doubt about it to me. So, I mean, don't look for the quick gain and just, enjoy the process. I mean, you're not going to bench 500 tomorrow and you may never get it. I never got 500, but you'll hit goals along the way where you're thinking, wow, that's an incredible total or wow. I can't believe I just did that. And just enjoy the process. Don't look for a quick supplement. Um, but yeah, creatine. I mean, we couldn't even take pre-workout with a lot of the competition. So we do coffee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, worst injury ever in powerlifting or a weightlifting scenario. Well, uh, probably the pec tear and like a little bit towards the bicep, um, that pretty much sidelined me. Uh, it was during law school. I just probably was about the strongest I've ever been in my life. Um, what was I doing like 365? I was on like number four or five of it and it just ripped. And instantly I knew that was the end of competitive weightlifting for me. Wow. And it just, it sucked. I basically went from, you know, damn near a clean 405, even though I've never gotten clean, I've come close, um, very close, but it went from that to can't do 135. And, um, that sucked. That really destroyed 
what I enjoyed knowing I'd never compete again on that level, but it's helped like running into, you know, people like you guys. Cause it's like, okay, well I can probably get them to that level. <laughs> That's what and then when I look at that, you know, <laughs> Go, John. But, you know, I mean, I look at it like that and then that injury, I mean, yeah, it, it stinks and my labrum's still torn as well on that side. But so you set different goals. Well, now I'm cleaning jerking more than I ever have. So, okay, fine. I'm not as strong on the bench, but I'm cleaning jerking more. Will I ever get 405? I don't know. But if I'm shoulder pressing 225 all day, then it's not super far away. <laughs> yeah. And I do mean all day. I usually work out about four hours every other day. <laughs> every, every other day. Every other day. Okay. That's interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you are in there for a while, man. When we walk in the gym, Jeff is usually in there completely. It looks like you got out of the pool, basically. <laughs> he uses our bench. He works in with us. He just turns it into a, it's a nice slide. and sweaty. But at yeah. least he brings a towel. I mean, even then, <laughs> even then, there's still some sweat there. It's kind of hard to get it all on. Well, you guys have the right mentality. I mean, we could sit there and try to get 315 for one or 405 for one or whatever it is for one for you or for me, or we can get stronger. Well, even though I've realized I won't ever probably get 405 clean, you know, I enjoy the process. <laughs> why, why was the pec tear again? Um, that, that's just something that especially horrifies you me. You got to warm up. You got to warm up. And I was somewhere that was pretty damn cold outside. And I did maybe two or three sets of like 135. And then I jumped straight to like 365. And I was repping that out. And if I could redo it, I would have stretched. And I would have taken more time between sets. I was all stoked to try like 405 or even 415. I mean, I was, I was at my strongest. Yeah. And so 365 was enough. You know, I'm cranking it out and getting excited. And it just, if you put your ear next to a piece of chicken and pulled that piece of chicken, that's oh. about what it, in my mind, sounded like. <laughs> but very <Yeah>. soft. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's definitely like one of the, it's so obvious just to, just to get warm first. But, yep. you know. We're, we all get in the moment. Exactly. You <laughs> kind of said it better, man. Yep. Cool. Yeah, we'll probably we'll probably take that um, five or five, ten minute snippet out. And um, I'm, I'm gonna definitely keep that one. I've got a lot of um some of my siblings are getting into powerlifting, and I really cool. wish I could have brought you around them too, because you know, this is just a wealth of knowledge in you, man. You've got a lot of years. Well, I'm it. telling you guys right now, if you qualify for anything beyond states, if there's a regional thing, I'll get my happy ass there and cheer you guys on. Hell yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah. Aaron, IFBB Pro. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Well, um, do you guys think of anything else? Um, or should we let him get food? I have kind of one <laughs> last question. Far uh, away. So when when you like graduated from high school, did you mm -hmm. think you were uh gonna go to 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 Harvard? No. Did you have that mindset at all? Or nope, when, when, at all. when were you like uh uh when 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 did you decide? Well, first it, like I'm assuming you wanted to go to college after high school, but mm -hmm. like when did you decide I'm I'm gonna get a master's? I'm gonna really like push my education to the farthest it can go. So I knew that I would be fine with like my SAT or whatever. So I didn't care about my GPA. I knew I'd be good enough to get into the school I wanted to go to for college. So I didn't really push myself or see a need to push myself. Um, I felt I felt just kind of, all right, I know what I have to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't feel smart. I didn't feel I didn't believe in myself, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, what made me decide Harvard I mean, I guess I can tell you a little bit more of the story without saying the name of the school. Um, I went to a law school after I graduated from college. 
I had an eye surgery and I failed out and I went up to the Dean and said, let me try again. And I had a second eye surgery and I failed out. And then I went to grad school and my eyes got worse and I dropped out. And so all of a sudden I was in my late twenties with over 50,000 student loan debt, nothing to show for it. And I had failed at a law school twice and I had dropped out of grad school. Wow. So yeah, it came down to a moment on my mom's couch and I was literally crying. I felt like a big baby. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand. Like, how have I failed this magnificently? And uh, I told her, I think, I think I'm going to go to law school for a third time. No one, I've never met anyone that's failed twice besides me. I failed twice. I mean, twice. And I had some eye stuff, <laughs> but I failed twice and dropped out of grad school. So I decided, okay, um, I'm going to go to law school for a third time. And what's like the best school in the world, in my opinion? Well, for me, it was Harvard. And I said, well, I've always loved, you know, anthropology and I've always loved stuff like that. Um, wouldn't it be cool to study that stuff th there? And so I basically started getting certificates um, from some really nice schools. And this is a sneaky trick, by the way, if any of you guys want to get into some of the top schools, almost anyone can get into a certificate program at almost any university. They don't tell you that. So I went to some of the like top universities and studied everything from HR to some other things. <laughs> so I got certificates. So now my academic resume lists some really good names. I'm like, okay, so now I'm not applying from this college I went to. I'm applying from some of these, you know, baller names. So then so how, I, I, what, what is a certificate exactly? Like you didn't get a, a degree from that school, but you got a certificate. It's, it's not a degree. Correct. So I got certificate. Um, I got a, I'll, I can find, I'll just name this. I got a certificate from Duke and then I went and got a certificate from another school as well. Um, and then what I did was I started thinking, okay, how can I better make my position myself? So I looked to a law school that I don't want to say the name of that law school because I don't want to give too much about myself over this. Um, but I wanted a school that was small because I'd failed twice. Right. I mean, that's crazy. You'd be afraid to fail a third time. But then I also wanted to try to go to Harvard. So I started bothering people in two different departments at Harvard. And eventually <clears throat> I got someone who was like, this is actually a pretty amazing story. How can I help? And so he basically helped me get into a program and I excelled at that program. And then I started law school at a law school that wasn't Harvard. And I worked on my program and on my thesis for years. Um, I worked on the thesis while I was in law school. So I finished all my academics basically. Right. And then I started law school, but I still have this thesis. So I'm working on my thesis while I'm in law school. And the thesis is for the master's program, if that makes sense. So graduate from law school and then a year later they finally freaking said your thesis is fantastic and it actually was nominated for an award and published and um yeah so <laughs> graduated from law school one year and then from harvard the year after that's a bit of a turnaround that's crazy now is that the same person yeah it's the same person but i viewed myself differently i started looking at it like why can't I be the president of my law class? Why can't I be, have the highest grade in this class at Harvard? Why can't, why not? Why, why the hell not? And I realized that the why not had nothing to do with how smart anyone else was, or even how smart I was. It had to do with how I viewed myself. So if you look at yourself like, oh, I'm good enough to get by, you're going to do exactly that. If you look at yourself and say, well, this test in three weeks, I'm going to know everything about it to the point where 
I'm the smartest person that's ever taken this test on this material at this time. You can do it. Anybody can do it. I mean, let's say you got to pass your series seven or whatever it is for you guys. Right. I mean, master just that. Don't look at it like I have to be the best investment person in the history of the world. No, but you can destroy the series seven, whatever that test is for you. How, how, how do you keep the, the mindset of like grinding in the books every single day? Cause sometimes oh, I didn't do it every single day. I would do it for like three days and that's it. But I would go three days, like a mother, I would go and get myself a hookah or a coffee. And I would spend just every second of those three days preparing for whatever that test was and uh, get pissed off. Look at it. Like, you know, screw these people. Like, you know, this is mine. This is my, this test. I looked at it like the Super Bowl sometimes. Cause if we had a final, and that final is worth almost all of our grade. Shoot, that's a big deal. But if it's important to you, it'll be easier for you. You know what I mean? Like, I made some bad grades during law school and classes that weren't important to me when my eyes were good. I also made some A's, a lot of A's. But I made some D's. And they weren't important to me. And then when I was at Harvard, the classes I was taking were almost all important to me. So I did pretty well because I enjoyed them. And I enjoyed trying to do the best that I could at them. If that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's, pretty- it's literally how you view yourself. You're going to be as smart or as dumb as you think you are. And I'm 100% proof of that. No, yeah. Like, and r- right now us being like 21, right? It's like, yeah. where, where, where am I going to be in 10 years? It's like, I feel like, like I want to plan so badly on like, like, sure plan correctly but it's like you never know when you're like it's not going to be perfect sure absolutely but that's exciting too because you never know you could wake up tomorrow and say well i think i want to go live in hawaii or you could wake up tomorrow and say i think i'm gonna take a gre or maybe i'll take my lsat or maybe i'll take an mcat maybe i'll be the real estate position who knows i mean you never know you just go with whatever route you want and enjoy the ride I have one final question before uh, we let you go and uh, eat your food. Sure. (laughs) Um, What is your biggest adult financial mistake? We are money-minded too. So we're we're open to learn on the financial perspective with whatever you'd be willing to. Finally, a a very easy question. I got engaged and she (laughs) lied, cheated, and I'm not going to say her name, fell into some drugs and spent a ton of money on my American Express, promised to pay me back, didn't pay me back, and I'm still paying it down. And that has cost me a lot of money and also a lot of peace. And don't do that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, I know we so said I it was the last this. one, but what's keep, the keep idea? Keep your bank account separate. And it, yeah. don't add someone to your credit yeah. card until you're married. And even then, give it a different limit than your total limit. And that's for women, too. I mean, everyone needs to be careful. You know, someone falls into drugs that can become a different person. And unfortunately, that's what happens. Um, in your opinion, is there some gold number for the, uh, the optimal time frame to be dating before marriage? I mean, everybody's maturity is different in a lot of different ways. I mean, someone can be completely mature and then fall into a bad crowd and fall into maybe drugs and become a person that's not mature and not reliable or you might have someone that you know didn't go to college and she worked for seven years and she helped take care of her mom well that woman's probably way more mature than someone who's maybe 27 and never had to deal with any of that so i don't know if there's necessarily an optimum age um i will say take your time more than i did um 
I mean, I thought I took my time to an extent, but really be sure for each part of it, right? Because you've got looks, looks fade. You've got money, money can go away. You've got peace. And in my opinion, peace is probably the most important. So you know you're ready if someone adds to your peace instead of just takes away from your peace. The other stuff fluctuates. Find peace. Um, yeah. I, I I have to ask one more question. Even, I um, swear so if you ask another question. <laughs> so so I feel like your your view of, of money is pretty different than uh, me, John, and Aaron's kind of ha- having this podcast of wanting to be financially free early. The name of the podcast is, is, is Green Dreams. And then mm-hmm. I hear you talking about like, you don't really care about the money. You just want to have a meaningful career, right? In a, like a passion. What, oh, what I, I owe a lot in money. <laughs> what, what, what was that? I owe a lot in student loans. I can tell you that. <laughs> but like, do you have like a goal in like money for the future or do you not really care about that? Uh, you kind of want to just work in your career and become as best in your career as you want. I would say that my goal as far as money for the future is to be able to provide a situation if I have a kid for my kid to do whatever they want to do. Okay. So because I don't have a child right now, I could care less if there was a hundred grand, 10 grand, a grand, whatever in my bank account. It doesn't change either way for me. The situation is the same. But if there was a kid or if I was married or settled down and was getting ready to potentially have a kid, which I'd like to do at some point in the next few years, my situation would be, saving for them trumps saving for me like i know i'll be okay i just want to have a situation where if my kid has something go wrong with his or her eyes I yeah can yeah and like you having a lot of student loan debt now but like being in the the field you are now i i would assume in in a few years you 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 will get a pretty good salary right uh, and you can kind of balance the salary is such a it's such a wide range and so dependent on so many factors. Um, I will say as long as you keep your nose to the grind, you will make a lot of money. But with this particular field, you will not make a lot of money in your first few years in it. That's how I'll word that. Okay. I mean, you can very quickly get over six figures, but that is not going to be in your first really four to five years. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jeff, from the gym. Yeah, thanks so much. I'd love yeah. to do a part two one day for sure. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like in a year. See where, yeah, where it was we're Yeah, good at. chatting with you guys. You know, it makes me feel a little more connected out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, we're here oh, for Work you, on your credit. Work on your credit now because that plays yeah. into everything from clearances to houses. So. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, appreciate it.